0: This is broadcast producer Desi Doyen. We're off this week, but we're happy to share our special coverage of the House January 6th Committee's critical public hearings. Today's episode, Day 6, originally recorded on June 28th.
1: And did you go back uh, then up to the West Wing and tell Mr. Meadows about your conversation with Mr.
2: Giuliani? I did. After Mr. Giuliani had left the campus that evening, I went back up to our office and I found Mr. Meadows in his office on the couch. He was scrolling through his phone. I remember leaning against the doorway and saying, I said had an interesting conversation with Rudy, Mark. It sounds like we're going to go to the Capitol. He didn't look up from his phone and said something to the effect of, there's a lot going on, Cass, but I don't know. Things might get real, real bad on January 6th.
3: Things might get real, real bad. Turns out, they got even worse. Well, do
4: why? I got the feeling that something right no, I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right Here I am stuck in the middle with you Yep.
3: From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding, on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York, on WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, Nicole Sandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me... From Bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today for some more, yes, January 6 special coverage. And all I can say is wow. Just wow was pretty much the only word that I could think to send via email to our two panelists uh, coming up to join us shortly today for our special coverage. Before we get to it, with our special panel on uh, Tuesday's surprise last minute hearing called in the House January 6 committee. Uh, As the testimony was uh, just ended about an hour or so ago. We'll get to all of that momentarily. But as we're now in the uh, era when everything everywhere happens all at once, I got to note that voters are heading to the polls on Tuesday for midterm primary elections and runoffs in seven states, uh, including Illinois, Colorado, Oklahoma, Utah, New York. Mississippi and South Carolina. And while I find it a bit difficult to believe, I have yet to see any reports of voting problems or voting system uh, problems in any of those states, Desi Doyen.
0: Well, that's good news so far.
3: In theory, it's good news. I kind of am not trusting myself here with uh, seven states uh, voting today. I'm finding it difficult to believe that it's going to be so perfect in all of those jurisdictions. But I will hope it's true, even as problems with the uh, voting systems, as you know, do not always come to light immediately on Election Day. We will keep our eyes out and we'll have any noteworthy results from contests in those states on our next broadcast unless there's any more surprises. Today, we have to shift back into special coverage mode as the bipartisan U.S. House Select Committee investigating Trump's January 6, 2021 insurrection at the Capitol and his other multiple attempts to steal the 2020 presidential election from the American people. The committee announced on Monday a surprise public hearing for Tuesday after previously indicating their fifth Hearing Last week, that that would be uh, the last one. They wouldn't be holding any more hearings until mid-July or so. In announcing Tuesday's surprise hearing, the committee's uh, the committee said Monday that they would meet the following day to, quote, present recently obtained evidence and receive witness testimony. Previous hearings, of course, have offered disturbing and gripping and at times quite emotional testimony and evidence about then-President Trump's relentless campaign to lie about massive voter fraud, to apply pressure to his top attorneys at the White House in his own campaign at the Department of Justice, as well as pressuring Vice President Mike Pence and state and local uh, officials. And even election workers around the country to help him steal the presidential election from Joe Biden and the American people. The committee has documented how at every step the disgraced former president was told over and again by his own top attorneys that there was no Evidence of massive election fraud in any of the states that he'd somehow need to reverse the results in in hopes of somehow winning the election. He was told over and again that he was both wrong about the supposed fraud and that his various efforts to try and change the results were either unlawful or unconstitutional. And yet He continued to push the big lie in hopes of undermining democracy and for the first time in American history, the peaceful transfer of power. Even going uh, out to the ellipse in front of the White House on January 6th and repeating all of the claims that by then he well knew were false. Regarding voter fraud. He told his supporters to, quote, fight like hell if they wanted to have a country and directed them to walk down to the Capitol, declaring that he would be there with them. He did not go to the Capitol with them on January 6th, but that part of the story was a big part of Tuesday's absolutely stunning live testimony. That live testimony would come from just one witness, a young woman named Cassidy Hutchinson. A 25-year-old woman who served as a top aide to Donald Trump's fourth and final chief of staff as president, Mark Meadows. Hutchinson, it has been reported, was in just about every room with Meadows. Wherever Meadows went, she was uh, largely with him. And she is no lefty. Politico flagged a 2018 interview with Hutchinson with her college newspaper at the time, in which she, then a senior, spoke about working as a White House intern. At that point, she'd interned for Senator Ted Cruz and then House Majority Whip Steve Scalise. Her videotaped committee testimony, apparently uh, she had been interviewed four times previously behind closed doors on videotape. That videotape testimony had popped up in several uh, stories even before the committee began their public hearings. She reportedly heard and later recalled Mark Meadows' description of Trump's enthusiastic reaction to chance of hang Mike Pence at the Capitol on January 6. She also reportedly testified that Meadows set fire to documents in his office after meeting with the big lie supporting Congressman Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, though that part of her testimony was not brought up today. During previous hearings, her video testimony was played back, including accounts of efforts by several members of Congress to obtain presidential pardons and the effort to assemble fake slates of Trump electors in several states that were won by Joe Biden. She has also testified that Meadows was deeply involved in the planning effort to steal a second term for Trump, including discussions with members of Congress about a plan for the vice president to refuse to certify the election results meadows was in on all of that today amid a blizzard of other testimony hutchinson also confirmed that both rudy giuliani and mark meadows hoped for pardons from donald trump after the events of january 6 they must have thought they've done something unlawful and she testified again today in detail how Meadows was warned of possible violence well ahead of January 6th and did not seem to care at all as it was actually playing out that way on January 6th. One of the several stunning points in Hutchinson's testimony was her description about what happened after Trump's speech on the ellipse on January 6th when he told his supporters to march to the Capitol, that he would be there with them. Well, earlier on that same day, as the committee had detailed, the Secret Service had found loads of weapons, knives, bear spray, spears, and even AR-15s among people in the crowd that day as they were being screened through the magnetometers. They played audio from Secret Service communications concerning uh, Trump supporters who had climbed into trees with AR-15s on their person. Trump was told but was furious that the area in the Ellipse was not full. He insisted that the Secret Service get rid of those magnetometers, saying, according to Hutchinson, uh, who was inside of the tent with Trump just minutes before he went on to give his speech, that he was not concerned about the weapons. He said, quote, they're not here to hurt me. Take the FN mags away. That's the magnetometers. Let my people in. They can march to the Capitol from here. Eventually. He gave his speech, he made his promise to join the marchers, and then he got into the presidential limo after the speech, known as the Beast. Hutchinson explained what she learned about what happened next inside the limo.
2: When I returned to the White House, I walked upstairs towards the chief of staff's office, and I noticed Mr. Renato lingering outside of the office. Once we had made eye contact, he quickly waved me to go into his office, which was just across the hall from mine. When I went in, he shut the door, and I noticed Bobby Engle, who is the head of Mr. Trump's security detail, sitting in a chair, just looking somewhat discombobulated and a little lost. Um, and I, I looked at Tony, and he had said, did you effing hear what happened in the beast? I said, no, Tony, I, I just got back. What happened? Tony proceeded to tell me that... When the president got in the beast, he was under the impression from Mr. Meadows that the -the off-the-record movement to the Capitol was still possible and likely to happen, but that Bobby had more information. So once the president had gotten into the vehicle with Bobby, he thought that they were going up to the Capitol. And when Bobby had relayed to him, we're not, we don't have the assets to do it. It's not secure. We're going back to the West Wing. The president had very strong a very angry response to that um, Tony described him as being irate the president said something to the effect of I'm the effing president take me up to the Capitol now to which Bobby responded sir we have to go back to the West Wing the president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel Mr. Engel Grabbed his arm, said, "Sir, you need to take your hand off the steering wheel. We're going back to the West Wing. We're not going to the Capitol." Mr. Trump then used his free hand to lunge towards Bobby Angle, and Mr. When Mr. Renato had recounted this story to me, he had motioned towards his clavicles,
3: his throat. The president of the United States tried to grab the wheel of the presidential limo and tried apparently to choke the top member of his Secret Service security detail when he was told it was not safe for them to go to the Capitol, which by that time had already been under attack by Trump supporters with Republican House leader Kevin McCarthy having just called the president, according to Hutchinson, to say, quote, don't come up here. Of course, that is not all. There was much more today from Cassidy Hutchinson's remarkable testimony, which completed, as I said, just about an hour or so before we go on air today. So, yes. Wow. Joining us for our special coverage panel today, and it's been a bit too long since we've heard from him, John Amato is the founder of the great and infamous CrooksAndLiars.com blog, which Time Magazine once described as one of the best blogs in the nation, and I still agree with them, at least if you're looking for some... Good troublemaking and muckraking. John is also one of the co-founders of the Blue America PAC, supporting progressive candidates for office with small dollar donations from we the people. Oh, welcome back to the broadcast. John Amato.
5: Thank you, Brad. So nice to be here, especially on Cassidy Hutchinson Day.
3: Yeah, there you go. Happy Hutchinson Day. (laughs) Of course, as always, at at least to date in these hearings so far, our anchor, special coverage panelist, and like John Amato, another old-school OG blogger, Heather Digby Parton, known simply as Digby, at her long-running Hullaboo blog and as the award-winning opinion and analysis journalist for Salon.com. And I should note a co-founder with Mr. Amato of the Blue America Pack. Oh, welcome back, Heather. Uh, Thanks
6: for having me. Glad to be here,
3: For the the record, last time you were on, Heather, I noted that it was your fifth appearance for special coverage of the hearings and that one more would entitle you to a free (laughs) sub-sandwich. I'm so
6: hungry.
4: So, yeah, do you want chips
3: and a soda with that? I would, Uh, Okay, good. It's on its way. Uh, Now, Heather, (laughs) you happen to be the only one, other than Desi, who can confirm this. But way back, many weeks ago, before the very first public hearings even began, you and I spoke on the phone about the upcoming hearings, and at the time, who did I mention to you might end none up being other, yeah, the breakthrough none other superstar. Then
6: Cassidy, Cassidy Hutchinson, and you said, have you heard of this woman named Cassidy Hutchinson? Yeah, I think I've heard a little. You said, absolutely, this is going to be the one. Yeah, And I think you even said, made the John Dean." Comparison in that conversation. Uh, I thought about it when I saw her announced uh, mm-hmm. last night. I'm like, okay, here we go.
3: Actually, I think it was Fawn Hall that I had compared her oh, to. Oh, that's right. That's, but, right, that's uh, right. But yeah, I called it, and and that's why I wanted to have you on so that you can prove to the world that I had called it months ago. <laughs> Anyway, uh, she's already testified four times, reportedly, to the committee uh, in these videotaped closed-door testimony. We'd seen her in some of those video clips that the committee has been using throughout their hearings. Do you have any sense of what changed to suddenly require this last-minute, surprise, seemingly emergency hearing with her live testimony?
6: You know, I don't know why. I mean, I saw a bunch of interviews with various members of the committee and none of them really, you know, much of a clue. But if I had to guess, mm-hmm. I would say that this really wasn't an emergency
4: hearing, mm. <laughs> that
6: they were that they had actually planned to have her testify for a number of reasons. Number one, I think probably just to, you know, it, it makes it a lot more likely that the networks and everybody else are going to tune in if it's an emergency urgent hearing, the mm. way that they announced it, but I think even more importantly, I think it's because there is some serious, serious, um, security concern, uh, mm. for Cassidy Hutchinson. I think she's had threats and I think people are were very worried that if they, you know, announced this and had it going forward, that maybe even she would say, you know, hey, I'm not up for that. I can't mm. come and, and testify. I mean, she's a very brave woman, but you've got to, you know, everybody has a right to say you know this is too much so by keeping it by keeping it under wraps until the last moment i think maybe they felt they were keeping her a little bit safer and, and also keeping her from having to be from being influenced you know obviously at the end of the at the uh hearing today they said that there was a lot of, you know, there was yes. a lot of pressure on these people. So a yeah. lot of attempts at witness
0: tampering. Too. Yes, we will exactly. get. We'll
3: get to that, and 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 we'll get to a lot more specifics here, uh, Heather. But uh, does it turn out that she was uh, as you as you see it uh, that she turned out to be this breakthrough superstar of these hearings as I uh, thought she might?
6: <laughs> Absolutely, I think she was incredible, and I think that what she revealed, what finally, it, it finally seems to me that this testimony kind of shook up the complacency Mm. that these hearings were not going to end up really doing much of anything. Because, first of all, you have to do is look at Donald Trump's reaction, and he's having a complete and total hissy fit over this, so you can tell that, that he's concerned. And more than that, I think what it does is that what she ended up doing was giving this inside view that everybody's been waiting to get on what he was doing, not just on January 6th, but in the days ahead, and Mark Meadows and what he was doing. That is super important to proving the case of, in my view, I think we're coming to a case of seditious conspiracy involving not just the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, but also Mark Meadows, Rudy Giuliani, and, you know, ultimately Donald Trump.
3: John Amato, the uh, biggest uh, sort of bottom line takeaway, at least for me of the uh, testimony on Tuesday from Cassidy Hutchinson, Donald Trump, and Mark Meadows both knew that there would, in fact, be violence and, in fact, seemed that they both wanted there to be violence. That was my takeaway. Is, is that your takeaway as well from Hutchinson's testimony?
5: No, absolutely. And also, uh, for me, what stunned me was the, the fact that he was screaming about the metal detectors and that he wanted his people into these places armed, with uh, AR, he didn't care if they had AR-15s, hand grenades, bazookas. He wanted them in there, and then he wanted them to march to the Capitol. He was telling the Secret Service to let them in. that, to me, is the most powerful thing that I heard, I mean, Mm. that I heard out of multitudes of of powerful things that that Hutchinson described. I mean, that level, uh, you know, we've always seen Trump in his antics when uh, going back to... Where he was after the you know the the Central Park Five and I wanted them to hang and just throughout his career, but he was so much more interested in this spectacle because he wanted to get his photo op with this big crowd and and compare himself to Martin Luther King, Um, and he couldn't care less about anybody else because as he said, they're not going to shoot me.
3: (laughs) uh, You know, Meadows uh and i know of course we're all focused on trump but uh, you know she tells the story of mark meadows who either knew that it was going to be violent and didn't care or knew and was actually all in favor of the violence Uh, she draws this picture of this guy who just seemed like he could not give a damn he was always sort of scrolling you know through his phone lying on his couch i I mean it 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 seems like he is as culpable as as trump here no
5: He acted sort of like a court jester, right, that runs around after the king, making jokes, picking up, you know, if he drops a sandwich, he picks it up. He didn't act like, I mean, a chief of staff, every chief, every competent chief of staff would have protected a president from this kind of stuff, right? He would have gotten these people out of the way instead of having, you know, Mike Lindell up there every other day with his pillows. And so he was, ai don't know, much of a willing participant. As He was like a Stepford wife to Trump. It was really bizarre, his behavior. I, um, I got I, the
3: sense that he was facilitating, that he was more than just an well, innocent bystander. He
5: helped, he helped things, especially, you know, when he's, when, when I think it was in her testimony, right, January 2nd, Rudy said that it was going to be wild. Uh, and then uh, on the, I think it was on the 5th, he, he told her, I think this, it's it's You know, there's going to be a real, real bad day, Mm -hmm. but he did nothing about it.
3: Yeah. And we will get into some more, as I said, of of the specifics of her testimony. But I know that you at Crooks and Liars, you follow the loons over at Fox News very closely, too too closely for your own good. I should add. But they did carry uh, today's hearings. Did they downplay it, as they tend to do, as a, you know, again, it was a one-sided partisan panel? Or did any of Hutchinson's testimony, as Heather suggested, actually break through this time to the uh, to the Fox News bubble, as you saw it?
5: Right. You know, today was the first day of testimony that broke through their veil. Um, for Because I, I basically will tape Fox, and then when there's the first break, I go over and between Jonathan Turley and, and Andy McCarthy, they always they'll say like, "Wow, that was really interesting," or "That's pretty good testimony." Unfortunately, if they had Jim Jordan on the panel, right, it would be, it would seem more fair. And Jim Jordan couldn't couldn't undermine that testimony, so they would just whine about, and they try to make it appear that Speaker Pelosi was responsible for for putting you know not enough Republicans on. And remember, they don't <laughs> they don't consider kinsinger or 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 Lynn as a republican
3: any longer right and but, she but, and 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 it was their choice to pull those people off the panel it's not like nancy pelosi nancy pelosi asked them to put five members on they pulled all five members because they th- you know threw a fit when pelosi thought that two of the members who were likely witnesses to these crimes Or accomplices. Right, exactly. Uh, (laughs) Heather, I, I cannot even imagine what What Trump world will now try to use to uh, discredit Ms Hutchinson, uh, who seemed to me at least to be about as credible as any witness I have ever seen in one of these things uh, you mentioned that Trump is is throwing a fit that he I think he put out a statement during the uh, committee's first break. Can you detail that fit uh, before we get to <laughs> a break and we'll go into some specifics what he's he's never he has no idea who this woman was or some such.
6: Right, and it's, it's total character assassination, as you might expect. She, he says he barely knew her; that she'd been begging for a job at Mar-a-Lago, and he personally said she couldn't have it. Which sort of, you know, belies what he just said—that he never knew her. I yeah. mean, I don't know why he would have taken a personal interest in it. But then he's calling her a social climber, and you know, a phony, and her body language shows that she's a liar. And I mean, it's just the most grotesque. And and I have a feeling. This was, I mean, the last time I checked was about an hour ago. Yeah. He was working himself up, and I can only imagine how disgusting and repulsive it's going to get. Now, I have to imagine that the people around him, the Jason Millers and the people like that Mm -hmm. who who actually are still working with him, that they're going to try and come up with something, you know, more than just, you know, calling her a phony and a social climber. Um, And they'll try and find some reason why she is doing this. Um, So... You know, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But I uh, I found her to be very, very impressive. She was a very credible witness, and the, the fact is, is that everybody who knows anything about the White House that isn't just still in the Donald Trump tank say she was very, very, very much involved in the intimate details of the White House, and also the, you know, the going back and forth between the, you know, the Congress mm-hmm. and the White House because she was a liaison. And more importantly than that, apparently she was attached at the hip to Mark Meadows, that he would be in meetings where everybody else thought it was very inappropriate for him to have his assistant, his advisor with him, but he insisted on having her. I have to assume hmm. that she, you know, part of this, I don't know if you noticed in her testimony, she was checking She had these big voluminous notebooks, right, that she kept looking at mm-hmm. in, in the tape testimony. Mm-hmm. She took notes. Yeah. I think this is all written down. Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't say that, but... I have to. She was looking at something there, and why else would he have her in these meetings, except to be his reminder? Right? I mean, it has to be. You know, tell me what they said. So right. she must have been taking notes. So I, you know, that makes her a very, very credible witness. And and I think that it's going to be hard for me to see how they can really, you know, destroy her. I just I can't imagine what it would be to be honest. I, I, I mean, she seems.
3: Perfect. (laughs) Well, she really did, and uh, although another thing you know did occur to me, I know know that these uh, staffers, congressional staffers, and and White House staffers are always much younger than you think they would be for a position like that. But she's really young. I mean, she's (laughs) she's twenty five years old, and she was the really, I guess, the top deputy to the chief of staff to the president, who was really the, you know, the top deputy to the president.
0: Yeah, well, I was really remarkably, I was surprised at how remarkably clear-headed she was. I mean, here's this 25-year-old staffer who had a much clearer head about right and wrong than the rest of the folks in the White House.
3: Well, that's because she's such a social climber. That's what <laughs> I hear. Right. So, she's a
4: total funny.
3: Yeah. Alright, let me take a quick break. We'll come back with John Amato, Heather Digby, pardon our special coverage of Day 6 of the January Six hearings, and it was a remarkable day. More bombshells ahead in our coverage. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to the Bradcast.
0: What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to Bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going. That's Bradblog.com donate. And thanks.
3: Hey, this is Brad. You're listening to an Encore presentation of the Bradcast.
1: On December 1, 2020, Attorney General Barr said in an interview that the Department of Justice had not found evidence of widespread election fraud sufficient to change the outcome of the election. Ms. Hutchinson, how did the president react to hearing that news?
2: I left the office and went down to the dining room in the Valley. Motion for me to come in and then pointed towards the front of the room near the fireplace mantel and the TV where there was ketchup dripping down the wall and there's a shattered porcelain plate on the floor. The valet had articulated that the president was extremely angry at the attorney general's AP interview and had thrown his lunch against the wall, um, which was causing them to have to clean up so I, I grabbed a towel and started wiping the ketchup off of the wall to help the valet out was this the only instance that you are
1: aware of where the president threw dishes
2: it's not
3: oh brother Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from BradBlock.com. Special coverage of January 6th insurrectionist uh, hearings, insurrection hearings. Uh, Yes, Desi Doyen. I feel like we have
0: to explain that deep cut. Anybody who knows the old catch up song, of course they all know that. (laughs) that Who doesn't know that?
3: Maybe Cassidy Hutchinson is not old enough to know that, but everyone else knows it. (laughs) <laughs> Here with the uh, John Amato and <laughs> Heather Digby Parton. John, uh, you know, after presidential debates and these big hearings, certain video clips tend to go viral. They become the takeaway for really the entire hearing. Uh, do you have any sense, John, as one of the guys who who often uh, creates those viral clips over at Crooks and Liars, uh, what the big uh, viral takeaway will be after this one? Will it be the? I, I got to tell you that image of the catch up Dripping down the wall in the of Oval the White Office House, yeah. uh, a dining room after the president had thrown a fit through his lunch against the wall
0: and broke White House dishes. That one's
3: sticking with me. But any sense of what the the sort of viral takeaways will be here
0: today? Well, yeah. There's also him like trying to
5: strangle the the driver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <kind of. laughs> While well, he's got take me to the mob, take me to the Capitol. You know, freaking out. I mean, there's so many moments just of this testimony that is riveting. Um, you know, and as I was alluding to earlier, when when Fox News cut into it, mm-hmm. there was a moment where like Sandra Smith didn't even know what to say because Brett Baer came on and said this was like powerful and riveting stuff, and both her and John Roberts like really had no comeback. <laughs> and then and then later on, when he came back, he himself brought up this is you know, I've been around politics for a long time. This is the most you know firsthand like the most riveting, powerful testimony from anything I've ever seen since since. A Watergate, and, and that's coming, you know, from Fox News, and mm-hmm. even Andrew McCarthy was saying that if this was a grand jury, Trump would be indicted.
3: Well, the, and that's where we uh, obviously where all of this needs to go. Uh, it seems like it's going there, Heather. Uh, you've got White House Counsel Pat Cipollone, uh, D- Trump's White House Counsel, who is uh, so far refusing to testify to the committee. As far as I can tell, actually, you know, spelling out the crimes that many have since suggested that the DOJ could use to charge Donald Trump. He was, you know, actually talking about obstruction, defrauding the American people, according to Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony. Seems like this cannot be ignored anymore by the DOJ if it ever was uh, uh, correct. I mean, how many uh, uh, cases are delivered on a silver platter like this to (laughs) law enforcement, for Christ's sake? Well,
6: I can think of one. Uh, you know, the Mueller report had a whole bunch of obstruction yeah. of justice, and nobody did anything about that.
4: Good point. Um,
6: but this one, I think there actually is. I mean, when, to me, you know, you asked John what the um, you know the memorable viral thing is, mm-hmm. and I agree on both of those. They're, those are going to be the the viral clips. But the one that really got me was at the very beginning, and you played it at the beginning of the show. It is when Cassidy Hutchinson said that she was walked out. She was walking Rudy Giuliani out of the out of the uh, the White House, I think it was on January 2nd, mm-hmm. he said, aren't you excited, Cass? Aren't you excited that, you know, January 6th, um, you know, we're going to go to the Capitol? And obviously, you know, he had just come from a meeting with the president, and obviously what had happened was that they had discussed, you know, the potential of what turned out to be this insurrection. And... To me, that's where we're leading in terms of a legal situation, where we're leading, with, we're leading to a place where, you know, Rudy Giuliani, Mark Meadows, you know, this mm-hmm. group that was at the Willard Hotel, mm-hmm. the Proud Boys, and the Oath Keepers, and the rest of this, that there was actual, literal planning for the insurrection. I think that's where this is going, and when you look at what the DOJ has been doing, they seem to be operating on a couple of tracks. One is the, the insurrection itself with all these people who, you know, they've had how mm-hmm. many, you know, indictments? I don't know, 100.
3: 820-something so far? Yeah. yeah,
6: I mean, it's yeah, it's, it's insane. And so there's that, which I think is all part of this. And then you have this elector scam, which you're also seeing as another illegal operation that they were doing Mm -hmm. from within the White House. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take, and I don't know if they'll wind up at the end of the day feeling like they have a real case or that they can take it all the way to Donald Trump. But it sure looks like there is evidence that they were plotting in the White House for January 6th. And that is something I think we've been waiting to see, whether or not that violence that happened that day, you know, Donald Trump certainly acted like... He, well, we know he was fine with him that it happened, but it was almost like he knew it was going to happen, mm-hmm. and so you know I think that that's sort of where, you know, or he knew that it might happen anyway, that mm-hmm. there was a possibility, and this 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 testimony today of, you know, the, that he knew that there were guns on the grounds, and you know it's tempting to say, oh, he just wanted to have a good picture, but come on, it's weapons, and he goes, oh, they're not going to shoot me, <laughs> <Right>. you know. <laughs>
4: Right.
6: Yeah. They're here to shoot somebody out. Exactly. They're here, you know, they're here to hang Mike Pence for crying out loud. You know. I mean, that's uh, you know that all of that sort of leads to the idea to me that there is a suspicious, uh, a seditious conspiracy charge that is potentially being built here.
0: Yeah. To me, I thought uh, that that entire. testimony today really built toward the concept that they actually not only did they think that there might be violence but they were actually planning for violence that Trump saying hey they're not coming after me he kind of wanted people to be armed for their march to the Capitol because I think that that was part of their plan they wanted the violence because they lost pretty much every other avenue that they were going to try to do the only thing they had was the last minute of Mike Pence is he going to come through for us and steal the election for Trump Um, I think they wanted that violent intimidation and people armed going to the Capitol for their insurrection. And
3: if they take away all their weapons here at the rally at the ellipse, they won't have those weapons with them when they go to the Capitol? Yeah.
5: Absolutely. And also, I think an e- easy case for obstruction of Congress, right?
4: Oh,
0: yeah. Stopting
5: an elected oh, that's official. In it. Right. Of, of doing the. And I think, I think they really believed, I mean, they would have to, that, all right, Mike Pence was holding out. But, I mean, because the guy is, you know, Trump is singling him out in, in his, you know, steal, a, you know, stop the steal rally. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if they just thought that, like, if we show force, he'll definitely send it back. Uh, because they're, again, he was acting like a mad king. Mm-hmm. Um, no doubt about it when you just see all his going crazy. Can you imagine? I mean, unfortunately, I wish that the Secret Service let Trump go to the Capitol. Could you imagine him then? I have a feeling he would have relished it. And then when they broke through, Trump would have let him through into the Capitol.
0: Yeah.
3: Mm, yeah.
5: He was that delusional yeah. about it. I yeah. mean,
3: I'm the president and I'm saying they're allowed to come in behind. i
5: president, follow me. And he right. would have told the, the Capitol police to get out of the way. And we're going into the chamber. Yeah, you know,
0: I but, mean, making himself part of the effort to literally stop the peaceful. But transfer. he was such oh, a I,
3: absolutely that he was such a loser and a jackass. He couldn't even get them to steer the car towards the Capitol. <laughs> You know, and I I get the sense that the committee does, you know, it's always sort of fun reading the the tea leaves here during this testimony because they really seem like they have a lot, you know, spelled out. We sort of compared it to the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, the other day in our previous uh, coverage, but it seems like they know exactly where they're going. And I got the sense that the committee actually does have the alternate takes from trump's infamous video uh, statement during the riot when he told supporters we love you but go home the you know the statement that he did not want to make he made hours later into the into the into riot while it was already underway he finally said we love you but go home and so forth but i think they do have the alternate takes and that we're going to see or hear more about that in the hearings still to come uh was that either of your senses as well well,
6: I certainly think that that's true. In fact, it Cassidy um, Hutchinson said that she she testified that you know he did not want to do it; that mm-hmm. he was resisting it. People kept saying that he needed to say something, and she was startled when it actually happened. Uh, when she she just sort of saw it, I think must have come up on her phone or something. That that tweet that had the had the video. You know, it's almost certain that they did have. More than one take on that, because there's been other testimony or at least revelations, maybe in some of the the you know Trump books, mm-hmm. that somebody said that there was and that they were really, this was the best one, the one where he said, we love you, and you're very special, and I totally understand what you're going through. <laughs> you know, right. That was the toughest one. <laughs> the other ones were, I don't know what, just keep going, go, don't stop till you find Mike dead. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know what he was trying to, what he wanted to say to them, yeah. but it wasn't good, let's just put it that way. Yeah. So I'm, I hope we do get to see them. I hope they, they kept them, and that they were in the National Archives. I mean, you know, that's one of the things that I don't think, think, most people really realize there were a whole bunch of deadlines on some of these subpoenas and requests that have been going out mm-hmm. and they just passed so there's a there was a deadline recently for the National Archives and as uh, uh. people were sort of chattering about you know a bunch of stuff came into the committee Maybe that's part of it. I mean, I don't know, but people have speculated. Certainly, people are saying, as Trump would say,
3: <laughs> yeah. that,
6: that yeah. they're there. <laughs> well, and
3: Benny Thompson keeps saying, uh, you know, hey, we are. We continue to take information. If you are watching uh, today, and it, this has jogged your memory about something you would like to tell us about suddenly, or if it has given you courage to do so, we are still open to your testimony. Uh, at the At the end of the uh, Tuesday's hearings, we. References earlier, uh, Liz Cheney noted that the committee always has, uh, whenever they do their interviews, their private interviews on videotape, they've always asked witnesses if they have been contacted by anybody regarding their testimony beforehand, before they came in. And she shared two different. Chilling statements, both from unidentified people, at least as of now. I also get the sense that we may learn who wrote these statements. <laughs> yes, um, so sure. one, one of the statements was, a, uh, was a, a witness statement to the committee in response to that question, as anybody talked to. The other was a message that was given to a witness by... Someone who is not identified. Let me read them both because they're, well, All right, here's the witness statement when they were asked, you know, did did anybody talk to you about your testimony before you came in? Quote, what they said to me is, as long as I continue to be a team player, they know that I'm on the team. I'm doing the right thing. I'm protecting who I need to protect. You know, I'll continue to stay in good graces. In Trump world. And they have reminded me a couple of times that Trump does read transcripts. And just to keep that in mind as I proceed through my depositions and interviews with the committee. Uh, then the other one was a message to one of these witnesses and uh, where they say a a person which is unidentified here in the in the quote that the committee gave So I have a feeling we'll find out who that person was, but a person, let me know, you have your deposition tomorrow, he wants me, he, they don't specify who, he wants me to let you know that he's thinking about you, he knows you're loyal, and you're going to do the right thing when you go in for your deposition. John Amato, that sounds like straight out of the Godfather stuff, man.
5: Oh, without a doubt, I mean... I'd say most of the uh, illegal, immoral actions that were taken throughout Trump's uh, you know entire uh, presidency, people knew that he'd get a; they could probably get a pardon. That's why I really hope they reformed that Presidential Pardon Act. Um, but no, that is that is really right out of Michael Corleone and The Godfather. But this wasn't um, even this and,
3: wasn't even while he was president. This is stuff. No, what well, they they're saying have to be, now. But, but
5: remember, now it's it's been a super. Fundraising organization, they are making millions of dollars off this stuff. They don't want to stop, you know, turn off the cash cow. And plus, there's all these people that are vulnerable. Um, you know, not everybody, as you can see, Hutchinson has as morals. I mean, she stuck. She was in that White House mm-hmm. all that time, which is, you know, not not a. Uh, she doesn't get a gold star for that. But what she's doing yeah. is is really incredible. Um, but you, you know, not everybody's a Peter Navarro or a Steve Bannon. But
3: I'm saying they they don't have. They're not able to float a pardon like they could, you know, during all of this while he was still in office. I no, mean, this I seems to me to be out an out-and-out threat, witness tampering, and intimidation, period.
5: No, absolutely. And maybe they're hoping, well, you know, whoever comes in next will give us pardons. Like, you know, DeSantis, mm. although DeSantis isn't a Trump fan, or, or so it appears. But it is, I mean, when, when Trump was running... You know, I thought it was a joke at first, right? even though I'd seen him on all these, you know, he went on Fox and Friends every other week and was, you know, just Mm -hmm. an idiot, and then his whole Obama's birth certificate. But, you know, he knew how to touch into the psychotics and the dregs and the most extreme right people, which now includes all these evangelicals. And, you know, they're they're just running wild, I think, off this uh, adrenaline that that Trump is still the president, or we must protect him to the end of the year. Even if he's not
3: president, I I wonder if some of these messages were from literally from Trump himself. I mean, when they say he wants me to let you know that he's thinking about you, of course.
5: Uh, well, right, yeah, but he here's is. the thing: Do you
6: really believe that Trump reads transcripts? I don't think so.
5: No, I,
3: I agree. <laughs> no, uh, Heather, go ahead.
6: It's it's definitely him. That this is a message from Trump and. Remember, you, you only have to remember Michael Cohen's testimony, right? I mean, right. he's really kind of the Rosetta Stone of, of Trump and, and <laughs> everything. He's the one who said that, you know, Trump will never leave office grac- graciously. And he always said that. He goes, you know, he doesn't really say it out loud. He has a way, but he, he makes it clear, right? Wow. He makes it clear. That's yeah. a very mafioso thing to do. And, and, and that is exactly what those are. And I would imagine that the, the actual threats, the ones, uh, there are probably some that are way more specific and explicit than <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know what they think they have to threaten these people with, to be honest, except for violence. There's no institutional power. Donald Trump doesn't right. have any way to stop these people. There's the, the vague sort of notion that, well, maybe I'll be president again and, you know, then I'll really get you, I guess. But the idea that there's anything he can do to them or for them, mm-hmm. either way, is the, it you know, doesn 't really hold water this is this is an, an implicit violent threat I
3: which think. is yes. I, I just you know they, they, they I got to get to a break here, but you know they say the uh, it 's not the crime it 's the cover up in this case, it is the crime, and it is the cover up <laughs> It seems like if nothing else, those statements that Liz Cheney read at the end are incredibly damning. And easy to prosecute if nothing else is prosecuted. Yeah. In this. I, and I was
0: well, just. Oh, sorry. I would just add really quick that I think that one of the other things that Trump has not only is uh, the threat of violence to these people, private violence. They he was also threatened with uh, cutting them off from Trump world. So oh, if God, that is bad. where your money comes from and you will be no longer on the gravy train and might actually have to work for a living. That might be frightening to oh, some people. Oh, there goes your
3: free access to the omelet bar at Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> Sounds terrible.
0: Well, look, Mark uh, Meadows, didn't he get like a $1 million donation to his pack? Yes, he did. So he I did. think that yeah. there, there is a gravy train that is yep. possible to be on that they might not uh, want to get off.
3: Yep. I hear you. I got to take a quick break here. We'll come back with our closing few minutes. Uh, Look ahead at what is forward. What is next? Good Lord, who knows? We'll try to figure it out. That's straight ahead on the Bradcast. Our special coverage of day six, surprise day six of the January six hearings with Heather Digby Parton and John Amato. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast.
1: Some have questioned whether President Trump genuinely planned to come here to the Capitol on January 6th. In his book, Mark Meadows falsely wrote that after President Trump gave his speech on January 6th, he told Mr. Meadows that he was, quote, speaking metaphorically about the walk to the Capitol. We know that White House counsel Pat Cipollone was concerned about the legal implications of such a trip.
2: Mr. Cipollone and I had a brief private conversation. He said to me, we need to make sure that this doesn't happen. This would be... legally a a terrible idea for us. We have serious legal concerns if we go up to the Capitol that day.
1: You also spoke to Mr. Cipollone on the morning of the 6th.
2: Mr. Cipollone said something to the effect of, please make sure we don't go up to the Capitol, Cassidy. Keep in touch with me. We're going to get charged with every crime imaginable if we make that movement happen. In the days leading up to the 6th, we had conversations about potentially obstructing justice or
4: defrauding
2: the electoral account. I'm
4: guilty. <laughs> Baby, I'm guilty.
3: Yeah, they're all guilty and they knew it. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Special coverage of the surprise day six uh, public hearings of the January 6th committee with the uh, stunning bombshell testimony of uh, Cassidy Hutchinson, Mark Meadows' uh, 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 top aide, I guess, Mark Meadows, the chief of staff to Donald Trump. We're here with uh, John Amato, Heather Digby-Parton, Desi Doyne, of course, in our closing few minutes. Heather, uh, re- Republicans are generally really good at obfuscating Very serious matters, you know, from congressional proceedings, uh, from the Mueller report, you know, these committee hearings, impeachment proceedings. It seems to me, and maybe I'm not casting a wide enough net, but it seems to me that they have really been caught flat footed here with really no uh, effective response or counterpoint to the damning information that's being revealed by these January 6th hearings. Am I uh, over optimistic about that?
6: No, I don't think you are. I think, I think it's, in mean, fact, they've been a little bit surprised because, because it seems to me they had to know at least somewhat what was coming. Because a lot of this was written in the press, a lot of it was in these books that have been published in the 18 months since the, since the, uh, uh election. But I think, I think that, you know, what they really are surprised about is how many probably where they got this, you know, that there's been so much testimony and they very artfully have been rolling it out. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I think they're surprised probably the most by the fact that this committee has done really, really excellent work in creating a presentation that is easy for people to understand and easy for people to grasp. And I think you're starting to see some movement in public opinion. Certainly the polling is showing that things have shifted a little bit partially due to this partially due to the horrendous you know acts by the supreme court recently Mm -hmm. and all of that but there does seem to be this kind of idea and i'm sensing it and i don't know if i'm wrong here and you guys can tell me if i am That people are kind of starting to go you know maybe trump maybe not worth it maybe maybe he's not worth it maybe maybe there's more maybe he's just brings way 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 more baggage than we actually need. Uh, well and i don't you know i don't know if that's true maybe it is wishful thinking but that that's just a kind of a feeling i get from watching the right more than any human being should be required to, to
3: do. <laughs> don't be too wishful about that thinking because i really do think he would be the easiest of the uh potential 2024 candidates for democrats to beat uh, especially at this point in this sort of weakened state. so uh, Well, they're you know,
6: all bad, Brad. Well, I mean, I, I, I,
3: well, this is true. I know. <laughs> it's not
6: like there's a good one out there. Well, <laughs> haven't we but is, We've got to take them one at a time. But you know? who's the easiest
3: to defeat? I would say it's Donald Trump. That's me personally. But, you know, John, uh, your thoughts, these uh, hearings, You know, how has the coverage been from your vantage point, from someone who covers them, uh, who does a lot of media criticism over at Crooks and Liars? Uh, Never mind Fox News. Are the rest of the media telling this story in an appropriate way where they were not doing so, for example, with the Mueller report?
5: Uh, Well, you know, I guess the biggest thing was the first hearing that was in primetime. And it had stunning ratings, right? It, and and the it had like over 20 million people showed up. Mm-hmm. And also, the, the most impressive aspect of that was that the people stayed around for the entire two hours. Mm. So when the media was complaining, even mainstream people, that Benny Thompson was taking too long and they didn't get, they should have opened up with the videos, like that kind of stuff, right? Because they they need to be excited in the first two seconds or else they get bored. Um, and so I think that's the biggest deal and the biggest indicator that people are paying attention to this so you know overall you're going to get your Chuck Todd's, um who are going to downplay everything and, um, and then you're going to get other people like Jake Tappers that are going to speak the truth uh, the problem is then once they litter these panels with you know Chris Christie's and all that, then they try to come up with reasons why it's not damaging. Are they doing that? Are
3: they successfully uh, littering these panels? I don't panels think
5: so. At this point, I mean, I don't think so. Um, and I'll be I'll be waiting uh, when when the next hearing goes prime time. Yeah, because you know the reason why Fox started covering them in the day is because they didn't cover the prime time one and right. they got lambasted for it and they and plus their ratings they thought that they would get all the Republicans would go to their station and they were flat where everybody, MSNBC, CNN, all the networks you
3: know, they led the coverage. They, I, they, they should all have all been uh, prime time hearings, as far as I'm concerned. They were all that compelling. I think it'll be interesting to. Uh, any, anybody have a guess whether uh, the last one, whenever that is, is supposed to be prime time as well? Any uh, anybody want to predict whether Fox will cover that one or they'll duck out again?
6: Oh, I think well, they'll I'll, duck out. Do you? All right, <laughs> well, that's
3: that's put it on Fox
6: business.
3: Do yeah,
5: yeah, put yeah, it over on we Fox did last
3: time. Okay, very quickly here. Uh, the committee is also. Um, uh, apparently trying to interview Ginny Thomas, the corrupt activist wife of corrupt activist Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, hoping to have her uh, test uh, testify privately in July about her role in pushing for 2020 election, the 2020 election to be overturned. Have either of you heard any more about that? Uh, is that moving forward? And do you think she would really come in and testify under oath i should add uh, or even perhaps more importantly turn over documents to the committee with or without a subpoena heather
6: i i i have heard a little bit so lofgren who's you know appears quite often on on cable she said that she expects her to come in and that she is coming in mm. and uh, you know voluntarily mm-hmm. i don't know what they're going to get out of her you know i don't think she's going to come in and confess that she you know has been spilling her guts to clarence you know, over the uh, over the hors d'oeuvres and cocktails every night. But I, you know, I, I think that they're going to actually interview her, and I think she she seems to be prepared to defend herself in that way. And I don't think she's just going to say, "Hey, we have a separate track. We don't really talk about these things. I do my thing. He does his,
4: uh-huh.
3: and
6: we don't." And of course, it'll be a complete lie. But you know, what what do you expect?
3: Well, <laughs> yeah. if they ask for documents from her. I
6: don't think she'll do that. I think they'll, if nothing else, they'll. She she may not defy the subpoena. I mean, she is the wife of a Supreme Court justice, but Uh they'll try and delay it, and you know, try and and you know, litigate it somehow so that she doesn't have to do it. That's my guess.
3: And. And will Clarence Thomas bother to recuse himself that time when that case gets to the Supreme Court?
6: No,
4: he'll yeah. be there.
3: He'll actually write the opinion. Write the majority opinion. Right. <laughs> I, I mean,
5: Sonia Sotomayor, she she recused herself because like there, she was on a case that, that she met somebody that was involved was not even a real friend and she recused herself because it, it had the possible look
4: of right. impropriety.
5: This guy his wife is basically actively trying to overthrow the government. And he won't refuse himself. It's really mind-boggling.
0: Yeah, I think it'll be uh, very interesting to see, but I just want to recap what we have for today, um, (laughs) that the Trump campaign and the Trump White House, all of them, knew of and expected violence to occur on January 6th, and I think at a minimum, they have legal exposure to their willful blindness to the potential for violence, and of course, they may have exposure for witness tampering, and we know that Meadows and Giuliani both sought pardons, which to me speaks to consciousness of guilt.
3: Well summarized, Desi Doyen. I would add, of course, that they not only expected the violence, they actually wanted the violence. Yeah. We gotta get out. They needed the violence. They needed needed the violence
5: for their final pressure campaign. Yes.
3: All right, we gotta get out. Thanks, guys. That was John Amato of crooksandliars.com, where you can check out his work and a whole bunch of other folks. He's been around for years doing exactly that. You can also find him on the Twitters at John Amato. You can, of course, find Heather Digby Parton over at salon.com and also at her blog. Literally net. She has also been around forever, and you can find her on the Twitters at Digby56. Really appreciate everything, guys. Thank you so much.
4: All right. You're very welcome.
3: Thank you. you uh, Sub sandwich is on its way. My thanks also to Desi Doyen, our Yay. producer. Thank you, Desi. Yeah. And to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program download it anytime for free at bradblog.com that's made possible by those of you who support our work at bradblog.com slash donate help us pay for that sandwich for digby drop me email (laughs) i'm bradcast at bradblog.com on the facebook's and the twitter's i am the brad blog we will see you there until we see you here next time tomorrow i'm brad friedman good luck world
7: I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1940. That was the day President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signed the Smith Act. Some initially dubbed it the Harry Bridges Law after the radical labor leader, long targeted by the FBI for deportation. Politicians claimed it was designed to prosecute fascists, Nazis, and communists. In fact, the Smith Act was first used to prosecute and convict Minneapolis Teamster leaders and supporters of the Socialist Workers' Party recognized for their successful 1934 strike and radical leadership. Named after the Virginia Democratic Representative Howard W. Smith, it was originally titled the the Alien Registration Act of 1940. In addition to mandating the registration and fingerprinting of resident aliens, it allowed for the deportation of those resident aliens who sought to overthrow the government by force. But the act also extended to those citizens who advocated the overthrow of the government by force or violence or engaged in the printing, publishing, or distributing of materials that advocated sedition. And it made it illegal for citizens to organize or belong to any association that engaged in such activity. According to historian Donna Haverty-Stack, author of Trotskyists on Trial, Free Speech and Political Persecution Since the Age of FDR, the Smith Act was a peacetime anti-sedition law that marked a dramatic shift In the legal definition of free speech protection in America The Minneapolis case shows how far the administration went To prosecute political dissent Even to the point of targeting the labor liberal left The Smith Act served as a prime tool for the McCarthyite Red Scare And it was used to prosecute more than 100 communists and labor leaders Finally, in a landmark 1957 Supreme Court case Yates v. United States Convictions under the Smith Act were rendered unconstitutional